as we kind of saw over the last couple of years, inflation has been insane. And so if you were saving up for a vacation that normally would have cost you $2,000, now it's probably going to cost you like $5,000 because of the excessive cost of everything going up, including your spending costs once you actually get. And so if you had a travel currency that kind of kept its value or even went up in value, now that's really interesting and could actually be a hedge against inflationary Welcome to Netcetera, the official podcast and newsletter powered by Mice and XYZ, the ultimate marketing network. I'm Blakeman Ho Kim, co-founder of Mice and XYZ, and join me as each week I talk to leaders working at the forefront of innovation, whether they're at traditional brands, web or AI companies, or otherwise, to demystify the latest in emerging tech that's shaping the new internet for a brighter future. Today, we'll be speaking with Cynthia Huang, co-founder and CEO of D-Travel, a leading Web3-powered travel ecosystem. Cynthia is an ETH OG and a real innovator in the world of hospitality, as she helps onboard travelers and short-term rental hosts into the world of consumer crypto. This is a really fun conversation that you don't want to miss, with plenty of alpha for what's coming up in the world of hospitality. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's episode number five with Cynthia Huang. All right, all right. Uh, GM Cynthia, how are you doing? Happy New Year. GM, GM. Happy New Year. Well, you know, we were just talking about this, but ETFs approved. I think life seems pretty good, right? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now. It's a, it's a good way to kick off the New Year. So really excited to, you know, uh, to keep building in the New Year. It's, it's, uh, it's looking bullish. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, I was just saying to my team yeah. that I looked back to 2023 and one of the messages that I had wrote to the entire team was, you know, 2023 is a year for building because in 2024, we know the housing is coming and then all of the hard work we've been putting in is going to essentially pay off because we're building in that time. And at the start of this year, I kind of looked back to that message and referenced it and I think it was very true. So very, very excited for all the things that are going to come this year will be a result of all the hard work we put in over the last three Hell yeah, that's what we're building towards. And uh, I'm excited to get into it and start chatting. But to kick things off, uh, as anyone who's ever listened to our podcast knows, we always like to start with an origin story. So we'd love for you to tell us about, um, you know, a bit about yourself, D-Travel, and how you found your way to where we are today, um, you know, post-ETF approval and, and building the incredible <laughs> stuff you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in Vancouver. I live in Lisbon now, which is where, of course, we met Blake. And part of the reason why I wanted to move was weather. Vancouver rains a lot, whereas in Portugal, there's 300 days of sun, and I'm loving it. There's also a big weather community here, which I'm very, very excited about. But yeah, I grew up in Vancouver, really started my career there in insurance and risk management. And there's this quote that Steve Jobs gives in his commencement speech at Stanford, which I absolutely love. And he says that in the moment, it doesn't seem like things connect, but then looking back, all of the dots connect. And it's only in looking back that you can start to make meaning. And so I think that very much describes my career path and journey into Web3 because on the surface, I had this sort of linear career path in insurance and risk management. Always thought I would sort of build my career there and eventually become a VP or something. But then this other track that I had, which was more of my passion track, I was attending hackathons. I co-founded an Airbnb host forum, which has kind of blew up and became the largest forum and still running today. And just really was so passionate about tech. And so Thankfully, those two paths kind of merged. I eventually moved into product management. And at the same time, what was happening was uh, my husband and I were mining Ethereum in our house. And so we had these horrendous, like, Frankenstein rigs that he had put together. And I used to joke saying that they're rigs that only a father could love because they were just terrible. And it was so bad that we were running, like, 10 rigs. And we couldn't even run the washer and dryer so we had to go to a laundromat to do our laundry because it would just blow the electricity this is this is uh this is very teaching <laughs> and i love it <laughs> so this is uh 2016 at the time and so i started getting really really into crypto and blockchain and then we ended up co-founding point fantasy which is a crypto trading simulation game and the reasoning behind that was in 2017 2018 
way that people were coming into crypto was just through trading. So we didn't have the kind of utility to find the way that we do now. And the only way that people could really interact with crypto was primarily to trade it. But the problem was it was even more volatile back then than it is now. And so you had a lot of people come into the space, buy something, lose a ton of money, and then leave. And even for me back then, adoption was really, really key. And I think this is one theme that's going to run throughout this conversation, but I really wanted to make sure that as many people came into the space as possible. And so we wanted to make it fun for people to learn about crypto. And we partnered with different companies in the space, exchanges, wallets, tax companies, and we would give away prizes for these trading competitions. But they were like fake trading competitions. So you would have this fake portfolio to build up whatever you wanted. And at the end of the trading competition, Whoever had the highest portfolio would win one of these prizes. And I always joke that if you won one of our contests, you could have actually done really, really well because, you know, setting the stage like 2018, 2019, ETH was $90. And at one point, Bitcoin was uh, $3,600. Like, that sounds crazy. That. I know, yeah. right? So if you won one of our prizes, you probably would have done really, really well. So thank you. Or, sorry, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that really, really drove my passion for crypto. And what's really interesting is in 2019, like it was dark. <laughs> it was scary as a builder because it wasn't like now where you have so much money and interest and even users in the state, institutional interest. And so it didn't feel like an inevitability for crypto to succeed the way that it does now. I think. Almost anybody that you ask, especially in the industry, will say, oh, yeah, of course, crypto is going to be the future. It's just a matter of when. But in 2019, I don't think we had that certainty, right? It was sort of, we're this fringe industry. We're kind of like people in the corner of the room that yep. when people hear that you work in crypto, they're like, oh, you know, you're a scammer or whatever. And then the bull market comes and everybody calls you. <laughs> Just just a second that I can corroborate that because I think my entry point to crypto was I think like 2017, 2018 when the ETH started to really pick up. And I think, you know, I had some friends who had bought Bitcoin before, was not as interested personally because I was just like, it's very speculative. But when the idea of smart contracts came about, like, okay, this is interesting. And as you're saying, it was still very early. It was still very trading focused. I was really into it for like a year. And then when it all came crumbling down. Uh, I'll be honest, I just kind of moved on and, and I kept my ETH in my Coinbase wallet, but I do. Well, that's smart at least. Yeah, I, I kept it. Um, and But then, yeah, crypto winter set in and I'll be honest, I, I did kind of move on for a while. And it wasn't until DeFi summer happened, which we're about to get into, I'm sure, in like 2020 that I think everyone started to come back in. And, and yeah, so just just backing that up. It's uh, God bless you for sticking around. <laughs> Yeah, no, honestly, it is really scary, but at the same time, it's crazy to see how much the industry has evolved, and I think a lot of the people who were in the industry at the time, it's been really amazing to see how well they've done, right? Like, I think about some of the people that I met really early on when we were building, so we're working out of Solana's office in San Francisco, for example. Um, you know, we talked to the OpenSea guys, and so... It's really great to see that some of the really early people have just gone on to them to do really, really well. And I think it's going to be the same cycle where the people who invested in building last cycle are going to be the ones who are really successful. So anyway, we started building this product and actually got a lot of traction. So we had over 350,000 users, which at the time was a lot for crypto. And plan to build that out, but unfortunately, we were an app built in the Google Play Store, and they were very not crypto friendly. So they ended up shutting us down, and that was also coincided with COVID, where it felt like the whole world was ending, and then DeFi summer as well. So you have like these really interesting things happening at the same time. And I think, you know, I always say that things happen for a reason. So altcoin fantasy ended, but then a group of us started talking about building out this idea of a decentralized Airbnb. And because I obviously had been a host for almost a decade and had been a community builder, it felt like it made a lot of sense. And I think the clincher for me especially that happened, and I think I've written web three understand this, but I'd been a community builder where even people who were interviewing for Airbnb would go to our forum to learn about what hosts are like. Like that's how 
I think key we are in the you know, Airbnb ecosystem. And during uh, end of 2020, Airbnb IPO, they had the largest IPO of that year. And it turns out that they had actually given some hosts the opportunity to buy into the IPO. It was like a very, very small handful of people. And it didn't seem like there was any random reason as to how they did it. So they didn't do it based on like how long you're on the platform or how much revenue you drove for them or how much you contributed to the community. It was like, it just felt super random. And on the forum that we had, people were really pissed off about it because they were like, well, why didn't we get that? And I think that moment just really made it obvious that there was such a big problem, not just because people who contribute are getting nothing for it, but also because earlier that year, Airbnb had these mass cancellations, and so you had all these posts for business. And that was really sort of the genesis of D-Travel, where we're like, you know, we need to fix something. And that's kind of where we are today. Amazing, amazing. That makes so much sense, right? Because it's, I mean, that's the whole premise of um, a blockchain, right? Giving community the ownership and allowing them to actually participate in exactly. the value of Krogel and what's been going on. So then you kicked off D-Travel and then what's been going on since? So that was, I think, what, when was that? Three was years 20, ago now, November years 2020. Ago. Yeah, and which I'm is sure forever in <laughs> yeah, because so much changes even now. So I'm curious, like, um, what, and then we'll, I think we should dive then into what is D-Travel, but, or we could do it together, right? But I'm curious, like, how do you define D-Travel today? And how do you feel like that's evolved over time? Because even going on the website, there's so much there, right? There's like a whole mm -hmm. ecosystem, there's a protocol, there's, so curious to hear how you describe it to people who may know nothing um, about the ecosystem. Yeah, so... Maybe I'll go back to the evolution because I think that will shed a little bit more light on who we are today and why we made that decision. So when we first started, the idea was very much that we were going to be a decentralized Airbnb and we were going to fix a lot of problems that exist in the short-term rental space today by decentralizing operations out to the community, giving the community back ownership and everybody who's part of the growth, and then we wouldn't have to really scale um, with a hierarchy because then we could scale to our community. And so that would lower costs and that would be also how we would fix all these SOPs. And we actually launched with that product. So in November, 2021, we launched our V1 and that was this marketplace model. But as we started to talk to our customers and really get product feedback, what we quickly realized is that a lot of the problems that also drive up the fees in short-term rentals would not be solved with a decentralized model. So Regulations are such a huge part of short-term rentals, and they've only gotten more stringent, not less. So you have all of these cities all around the world that are cracking down. And the reason why Airbnb is always in the news is because they have money to fight, they have money to lobby. But they spend, I'm guessing, like tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars a year fighting against regulations. And I think that's just a losing battle. So for us, we decided to take a step back and try to identify what the problems were that our customer, who are hosts, are facing. And for us, we came to three conclusions. It was cost. So it was very expensive to run your business on Airbnb because they charge anywhere from 20 to 30 percent. And, you know, that's split across the host and the guest. They also don't have ownership. So what happened during COVID with the mass cancellations is that even if hosts had a strict cancellation policy, that was overridden, and then they were forced to give refunds back to their guests. And so a lot of hosts felt like they were very vulnerable to running their business on Airbnb. And then the third is control of funds. So this is obviously something that's very important in crypto, but when you're relying on a platform like Airbnb or you have a payment intermediary like PayPal or Stripe, and they're holding on to their money, and what ends up happening a lot is that they can cancel your account because they say that you're doing something against their terms of service or you scam someone or, you know, whatever they feel like saying so that they hold on to that. And so with these three problems in mind, we decided to build out infrastructure to power peer-to-peer -peer bookings. And specifically, you know, one of the things that I think Airbnb and other marketplaces did really well is they provided the tooling to make it really easy for hosts and guests to be able to book with each other, but through a centralized model. 
And where we see the evolution of short-term rental pooling is that same model, but without that intermediary. So how can we connect a host and a guest without somebody in the middle being in the middle of that transaction? So we took the Shopify model where they were able to help any brand or e-commerce store create a brand and then be able to sell their products. So our first product each level direct is basically like a Shopify operator and they can create a beautiful premium direct booking website in just a couple of minutes and then be able to book directly with the guests. Um, the second problem we're solving is around distribution. So what Airbnb does really well is if you're a traveler, you can go there and you can have you know, millions of properties that you can potentially book with. But again, the, pro the problem that we see is that that's a centralized model. So what doesn't exist in short-term rentals that does exist in the hotel industry is this meta search. And part of the reason why it doesn't exist in short-term rentals is because hotels are made up of a lot of big brands. So you have like IHG, Marriott, et cetera. Uh, with short-term rentals, it's a lot of small operators and there's no way to sort of easily aggregate that data. And so that's the second piece of what we're solving is how do we easily bring everybody together and then create a meta search so that it's always going to be a peer-to-peer -peer booking, but we just help with the discovery piece. And finally, we have our protocol. And so this is, I think, a little bit more nuanced for people who are in the industry, because what is a big problem is there's no API, or there's no easy API connectivity. So if you're a company in the short-term rental industry, you always have to build an API connection to everybody else. And so you end up having this like crazy web like this, you know, just like all these connections and it ends up costing you a lot of money and guess who ends up paying the consumer, right? So what we're trying to do is build out a protocol that is a single source of truth for anybody to be able to build an app on for the short-term rental industry. And that one we're really excited about because that one's obviously very ambitious, but it's also a problem that is a really, really big blocker to innovation and also profitability. And we have a lot of partners who are really influential in this space who are supporting on this because they also see it as a problem. They've been in short-term rentals for a really long time. So very excited to launch that product. And I know I said a lot, so we can go back to any of it. No, I'm, I'm really excited. And that actually was probably the best explanation because I think, you know, even in the past when I was trying to wrap my head around, I was like, there's so much here. Like what? And so hearing it straight from, from you, I think was really helpful. So we'll love to kind of drill down to each of these, right? So, I mean, like D-Travel Direct. Well, I guess it sounds like almost it's not chronological, but it sounds like almost like D-Travel Direct maybe is the most built out. Then distribution and the meta search was kind of secondary. And now protocol mm -hmm. is the next level that you're trying to solve. Um, I guess then the follow-up question is that naturally it's just kind of how, how has that all been going? What, you know, what has been going well? What have been some of the biggest challenges? Curious to hear, um, yeah, just how has it been going with each of those and, and what do you think are your biggest wins and, and lessons learned? That's always something really interesting that I love to drill down into. Definitely the juicy stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's been going well, okay. Well, you know, with a startup, it's ups and downs, yeah. right? And so we're, especially a crypto startup. I was just joking on another podcast that a crypto start or a startup is already hard enough, but building a crypto startup is like being on a roller coaster while trying to jump. And, jump. <laughs> and so um, overall, I think it's actually been really good because we have an amazing team. And like I said, we've just spent the last two years, three years heads down building a lot. And what's a little bit different for us, I think, and this has been very intentional, because we are focused more on a web two audience, obviously there's gonna be people in web three who are both hosts and travelers, but there's a bigger proportion who aren't in web three yet. And so those really are our focused customers that we want to target and speak to. So we've spent the last couple of years really building out our brand recognition in Web2, and it's really paid off. So we've won multiple awards. We were just nominated for the best software solution for direct bookings, which um, hopefully I can link and then everybody go and vote afterwards. But we've done such an amazing job. Like when people think about short-term rentals, like we are up there for sure. And that's been really, really exciting. And I think on the Web3 side, and this is, 
I think one of the learnings that we've had too is because we were so focused on building that on product, we deliberately didn't focus too much on the web three side because what is the point of you know focusing on web three when you don't have a product? Right? I think there's so many web three projects that are essentially vaporware. They do a ton of hype and then there's nothing behind it. And we are very much looking at it with a long term lens. Like we're not a three or five year project. We want to be here for you know, like 30 years. And I think that really requires a different approach than I think what most Web3 projects do. So we've been very intentional about that. And so this next year, we're really going to be shifting focus more towards the Web3 side and trying to build our brand recognition in that space. Because like, I would say most people know who we are in Web2 travel, but not a lot of people know about us in Web3, which I think is a shame because unlike the meme coins, we actually have a product and revenue and customers. And so um, that's definitely, I think, a learning around how to balance the two because a Web3 company is quite unique in having both a Web2 go-to-market and then a Web3 go-to-market, at least for us. Yeah, and that's so interesting because I think that's something we think about all the time, which is, you know, Web3 space, we love it, we're in it, but at the same time, it's it's still pretty niche. you know, a lot of people are building effectively clones of the same thing. Everyone's building another exchange for another blockchain for another thing. I think what you guys are doing is really unique. And why I'm so excited about it is this is where I think people who don't know anything about crypto should know about, because this is what, this is the whole point, in my opinion, right? It's about what we call, I guess, consumer crypto, I guess is maybe mm. one way of saying it, of how are we using blockchain to actually improve people's day-to-day lives, not just you know, beyond the financial speculation part, which frankly speaking, we all love, that's great, but you know, that's not the whole thing, right? It's one part. It's not the sustainable way for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, would love to better understand, well, actually two things. Cause I think for, even selfishly, like, I think I was trying to figure out like, how do I, can anyone just go on deep travel direct or I guess deep travel direct is for the hosts mm-hmm. and then is the meta search live? Is that something that's going live? Uh, how does one access that? Uh, I'm just, yeah, number one. Uh, yes. follow ups. Yeah. So that is going live in this quarter, which we're really excited about. And I think Amazing. especially for you, because you know we've yeah. been talking a little bit about collaboration because yeah. our meta search is actually going to be powered by AI through an LLM model. So we're changing the search experience a little bit. And I think especially for nomads and crypto travelers, the search experience right now is challenging because you have very specific requirements, right? Like, I mean, you are a digital nomad, of course. And so you want to have specific Wi-Fi, you want to have a workspace, you want to be close to specific amenities or places, you want to probably have a washer dryer, a kitchen, et cetera, like all of these things. And the only way for you to look and find them is maybe if you read the reviews or kind of parse through information that's there but it's not always available so with our meta search how it's going to work is you can first choose a profile so you can choose a digital nomad profile for example and it's going to know what criteria generally nomads like to look at and then you can put in the specific other filters that you're looking for and it's only going to return the listings that have those amenities or whatever else that you're looking for so it should make the search experience a lot more delightful and a lot more efficient as well for you. I love that. And that's, that's another thing we we're always thinking about, right. Is what's the future of the internet. And and I think people are, uh, well, I guess I, I say all this because we're, we're very much focused. We've talked mostly about web three, but AI obviously I think was the big thing last year and will continue to be the thing, right. Cause at the end of these things will all come together. So it's, it's really exciting and cool to hear about what you guys do in there. And I, and, yeah, we got to chat more about, you know, how we're going to put these two things together that yes. some of the stuff we're building on the hospitality front and how we bring it all together. Um, following up on that, I, I think there is a question of the blockchain side of things in that. And, you know, so would love to better understand, um, I mean, even from a brass tax angle, right? Like, are you guys building your own blockchain? Or are you guys building on someone else's? Uh, who are you? Are you guys partnering with anyone? Are you agnostic? And then when token, right? Or NFTs, or how do you guys think about, you know, the actual integration of blockchain into what you guys are building today and the distribution of ownership over time? Because um, I guess, as you just said, right, that will be a focus in the next year or two. So I'm sure it's 
I'm sure it's probably evolving, but you know, as you're thinking about today, uh, what does or what will that look like as you're, you know, thinking ahead? Definitely all great questions. So we do actually have blockchain integrated already and they're integrated in the booking contracts. So whenever somebody pays with crypto, those are all our own smart contracts that we've written. And what's really exciting is that in a couple of weeks, we're actually upgrading those smart contracts. So the way that it works today is it's an escrow contract. Let's say that I'm the host and you're the guest. When you pay with crypto, it's going to go into an escrow contract. And then based on the, my cancellation policy, so if I said you can cancel 30 days before without penalty, but if it's within the 30 days and I'm going to keep all the money. So there's going to be logic built in where if you request a cancellation day 31, the money will get sent back to me automatically. If you request a refund on day 29, I get to keep everything. And that smart contract automatically going to send me the money on day 30. And going forward, we're changing that a little bit. So what was really important for us with the protocol is to make sure that we could capture all bookings on chain. And obviously there's a disconnect because crypto bookings can be on chain very easily. I mean, they happen on chain, but how do you put fiat bookings on chain? Because if we want it to be a single source of truth, it has to have all bookings. So with the smart contract change, what will happen is that there's going to be night tokens that are issued that represent a night and a state. So if let's say, again, if you were booking with me and you booked for two nights, it would mint two night tokens through the smart contract. And then you would get sent two night tokens that represent your right to stay at my property for those two specific nights. And they're non-fungible tokens. So they are only um, they only represent the stay for those specific days. And, you know, I'm sure you can see where this is going. Eventually, we're going to have a secondary marketplace where people will be able to resell these tokens because it adds a lot of flexibility where, you know, if you can't stay for whatever reason, let's say I as a host have a very stringent cancellation policy, it doesn't mean that you get locked in. Or maybe we would even get rid of cancellation policies altogether because now it's a liquid say that you can resell anytime you want. And so that obviously, one, adds flexibility for the traveler. Two, the host is going to be able to get income from any secondary sales. And then three, I think it creates a really exciting marketplace opportunity for us DJs who want to arbitrage. Because if, let's say, you live in a town and you know that there's going to be some big event coming, that's a really, really good piece of information that you can capitalize on. And this happens all the time, but now you can make it much easier, right? So we're pretty excited about this change. And um, in terms of the ownership piece, so we are giving all of our hosts 3% back in the fees, which is our fee right now. And we're reworking our tokenomics. So we're going to actually have a full rewards program where if you refer people, if you um, book, if you're a host, all of these different drivers will earn points and then you'll be able to actually get part of the mining rewards One point. <laughs> for driving growth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'm just a joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's taking the concept of airdrops, which we all love um, and which are obviously very hot right now, where you can collect points for doing different things within the ecosystem that drive growth. And then you'll be able to earn part of the mining reward. So our token is live, but we haven't actually given out the kind of rewards deliberately because we want to scale up the product. Now, this is where I mentioned going into this year, we're really focused on the tokenomics and distributing ownership and focusing more on the web side. And part of that too is going to be expanding to other networks. So we're on BNB chain. We're going to be expanding to uh, Polygon next. But uh, we actually see a world where it's multi-chain and everything is interoperable. So if, let's say, me as a host, I want USDC on, I don't know, on Polygon, and you want to pay in Solana, it shouldn't matter, right? It should just be you pay in whatever you want. I get payment in whatever I want. And then we do all the work in the back end to make that happen. And it's invisible to all sides. And I think... That's really the only way that a product like ours and any Web3 product is going to get to mainstream adoption. If you can't put that complexity on the user, 
Yeah. By by the way, while we're on that topic, uh, a quick show for my friend Will actually, because and I don't know if you've talked to him at Decent. Um, Decent. No, there. I never told you about him. Yeah. Well, I, it's, I only mention this because it's literally the, the problem he's trying to solve for right now. He has a product called The Box. And the whole point is just like you're saying, I really like I, it's as a marketer. I love this phrase is meeting people at their point of liquidity. So whatever token mm. you have, if it's all and because I have this frustration as someone who's who is mostly on ETH mainnet and dabbles in all the others and Solana, yeah. whatever. But the EVM chains, especially, it's I'm very frustrated with people trying to get me to bridge to Polygon and and OP and Arbitrum and Base and then hottest new L2. Everyone's, you know, the fragmentation of my liquidity. So the whole point is meet them where they are. And as you're saying, it should all be interoperable. Um, they I think they have like a front facing um, application, but I think there's also an API in the back that you could just like plug in. So I don't know. Oh, we can cool. talk about that offline, but it's just yeah, a thought. Yeah. Um, if you want to leverage someone else's as opposed to just build your own but yeah but that that's it's so important so i'm really glad to hear that you're doing that so there we go so i mean can you tell us a bit about the tokenomics or is that public yet or is it still i guess it's still being figured out right um or reworked yeah i mean at a high level i think the big things are we're gonna have two services and the vision for a trvl is to be the de facto travel currency right because mm -hmm. if as we kind of saw over the last couple of years inflation has been insane and so if you were saving up for a vacation that normally would have cost you two thousand dollars now it's probably going to cost you like five thousand dollars because of the excessive cost of everything going up including your spending costs once you actually get. and so if you had a travel currency that kind of kept its value or even went up in value now that's really interesting and could actually be a hedge against inflationary currency so with this kind of vision, part of what we want to do is split our focus into two phases. Phase one is really focused on building adoption and utility within our own ecosystem. So that's the decentralized ecosystem. But then phase two is external enablement of TRVL. And that means partnering with other ecosystems outside of V-Travel and really getting people to use TRVL within their ecosystem, both as a reward currency as well as option and we're actually starting to have some conversations right now which is pretty exciting because i think you know continuing along this theme of multi-chain i think it also has to be multi-ecosystem because for tokens to really have a lot of value yes like within one ecosystem is great especially if that ecosystem is really really big but it would be really really amazing and i think this again is how we can if your token were in other ecosystems. And I don't think we've seen that too much because I think it's both a technology problem as well as just we're so early. But I definitely see that as being the And I think it's a liquidity problem, year. right? Is like how yes, do you Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. How do you assess or how do you like do that um maintain the price the same the exactly. price across all chains because you need liquidity to back it up. Yeah. Um yeah, nobody solved it yet. <laughs> so we're all we have so many problems to solve. <laughs> so many. We're rebuilding the internet from the ground up. So we need another we need... meme. Yeah, <laughs> we need more, more meme meme tokens. Yeah, that, that that'll help. We need like dog and boat or something. <laughs> <laughs> more hats. We just put hats on everything, and it'll be good. Um, I am curious, actually, just thinking about this, this out loud. So as we're talking about tokens and NFTs and everything. So because I think you had previously mentioned, right, you very much focus on more Web 2 and now you're moving more into Web 3. As time goes on, um, I mean, I think you'd probably agree with the idea that like eventually this all just becomes one thing. They're like this idea of Web 3 maybe won't exist in like 10 years. Yeah, It'll be a it's like time, the internet, but... right? Right. Yeah, we yeah. don't think about it. But in the meantime, there is still very much a divide. The world has yet to really understand. And as we've seen, like there is definitely some backlash to 
I think especially in the music industry, uh, I've been following a lot of consumer, like a lot of artists who are trying to cr- and creator economy, right? Um, artists and creators who are trying to onboard their communities, and there's there seems to be a lot of backlash against even the term NFT. I think it's especially mm-hmm. a Western problem because I think in Asia it's not as crazy, um, but especially in the West, there's a lot of backlash. So I'm curious how you're thinking about as you start to lean more heavily into the Web3 elements, um, how you are going to, I guess, message and, and talk to those audiences. And do you, and also, well, there's a follow-up question there, which also is where do you see them? Like the, your, your main target demographic being, uh, whether it's in Web3, Web2, or if you're just going to kind of let the cards fall where they may or how you're thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, good question. So I think for us, our approach probably will always be that because we have such a web two centric audience, at least in the long run, if we really want to grow and expand, that's where the majority of our customers are. And then maybe in, like you said, three to five years, that won't even be important. I'll just be like our customers overall. But because we do have a more web two audience, our language has to be very simple. And so if you actually look at our copy, for the most part, we don't really reference anything about blockchain or crypto because we don't feel like it's important and we want to abstract that away. So even though we're launching smart wallets in the next couple of weeks, that's going to be a non-custodial wallet that you can use your email to, sign up to um, create. And that's obviously a deliberate choice because we want to make it as easy as possible for people to use the wallet. And then the same thing once we actually have this um, backend infrastructure to do all the swaps and bridging for different tokens. Like we would hide that all away and we would make the experience really simple for an operator where it's like, hey, choose what you want to get paid. And then on the guest side, it's like, choose what you want to pay. So I think that's really always going to be our stance. How do we be user-friendly and just kind of abstract away all the crypto BS, right? Because it's not really important. And if you look at brands, like, you know, you're an expert at this, Myosin, but all the successful Web2 brands that have built some sort of successful launch or product that's crossing Web3 has been because they've done it in a way that speaks to the masses. So it's not about NFTs, it's about collectibles or membership or something that doesn't alienate you. And it's interesting that you mentioned that um, these artists have gotten laugh, like backlash, backlash. against yeah. yeah because so I'm a big EDM fan and I actually have a bunch of DJ NFTs. I have the Tomorrowland NFT as well, and I actually think it's amazing because I want to support these creators. And one of yeah. my favorite favorite DJs, um, I was like the top point zero one percent on Spotify. So they said a special video amazing amazing. um, his name is gareth emery and he did an nft drop for um he had like this vip card but he has a bunch of other nfts as well and when he did this campaign it was so crazy to me because he said that just from that one nft drop he made more money than if he had i think it was like five or ten million listeners on Spotify. like that's just so insane this is this is the challenging part. I was uh, when I was traveling recently. I caught up. It's so true. Like this is it's so obvious the use case. But I think it's just a matter of. I think it's two things. I think number one, electronic artists and the demographics that tend to like it. I think are generally maybe more progressive, tech savvy. Yeah, tech yeah. savvy in their yeah tech progressive. I mean, uh, not politically. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, Probably. more tech savvy. Probably, but uh, yeah, I don't want to wade into that. But the tech side of things, I think they're more progressive and, and aware. Um, so I think it really, number one, just depends on the audience, right? Because music is a very broad term, right? There's country music, there's alt rock. Are you Is your demographic boomers or is it Gen Z or is it millennials? But as you're saying, the most important thing to understand is like the, especially creator economy, very similar to hospitality in what you're talking about with hosts it's the artists are getting squeezed, right? And I, I, as you were just saying, I was talking to a musician friend who I hadn't seen in many years. We were, uh, we were friends in college and we just happened to catch up when I was traveling. I was in Paris in December and he was complaining. It was the same exact issue. He's like, listen, man, I gotta like, I'm grinding all day to try and get on the Spotify playlist, but I could get millions of listens and I get like pennies. And I tried, but the crazy thing was I tried to explain, you know, 
what you could do with blockchain and and there's still a lot of resistance i guess and right it's, we're not going to solve it today but it's it's a little bit challenging i guess it, and frustrating to hear um well it takes I, time okay it takes time. yeah yeah well i think you'll appreciate this as a marketer and also because of my thing to focus on mm-hmm. but to me ultimately at the end of the day is a messaging thing like yeah. and, and you kind of talked about this too but are you familiar with patreon patreon yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah. so um I think that's a really good example of something that exists already. And if you yeah. think about artists, actually a lot of them use Patreon or yeah. a subscription or whatever they call it. I pay and for a couple of Patreon subscriptions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And nobody has a problem with that. Yeah. But I think there is unfortunately, and also partly, right? Partly so. Um, there's a lot of bad press on crypto. And yeah. so people just don't want to associate with that. But if you had the technology to make it really easy for people to be able to subscribe and support your favorite artists, you wouldn't even think twice about it. And this yeah. is why at D Travel, like we're really focused on trying to not make it about crypto because it doesn't really matter. Like if we want to talk about crypto, that's because we want to talk about crypto and that's a very selfish need. It has nothing to do with what benefits our customers. And so I think messaging is definitely really, really important. Um, I, I also forgot to say, one of the things that we're doing on the traveler side to kind of continue this line of NFTs is yes. we've been working on this travel pass. And the idea that is that it's supposed to be your traveler profile to interact with different things. So you can hold your reputation, your reviews, you can do different things within the travel ecosystem. Maybe within, uh, maybe it's going to be interoperable with other ecosystems as well. But that's definitely going to be something that's pretty exciting that we're doing. Sorry, I was, I was taking myself off mute. Um, that's really exciting. And actually, sorry, my brain's just humming. I don't want to be like shilling different blockchains here, but I think there are a couple different, I don't know if you, we can take this offline, but I think there are some blockchains that you, if you aren't already talking to them, you should, because I think when we're talking about consumer crypto and all these things, there are definitely some I think places where they're leaning very heavily into things like this around travel pass and, and everything you're talking about. Um, I'm really excited. And that's going to be, I guess that'll be on Polygon, uh, at least in the short term, right? Yeah. That one we haven't decided yet. So uh, the nice thing is that I think with a lot of the tooling and infrastructure that's coming down the line, you do have the option to actually build yeah. products on different chains and then yeah. it doesn't it feels like a seamless experience for the user so they don't care. Yeah, it's all compatible except Solana. Damn it, Solana. I know. It's so hard. It's so frustrating. I, I want to buy some tokens together. Not as Solana, but like a non EVM ecosystem. Yeah. I won't say which one. And I was like, it is so hard to buy the token. Like it's impossible. I think yeah. I get so spoiled by the Ethereum or yeah. I guess it's sort of like the EVM ecosystem. Yeah. That it's so easy to bridge and swap and do all the things. And then you go somewhere else and you're like, Ugh. Yeah. It's, it's a singular experience and, and that's a separate conversation probably, but, and uh, I, I support it in one sense, but I think all I will say is this, I think it's, good, it's a separate, like little side tangent. I think Solana and, and e- Ethereum and all the L2s, it's going to be very much like an Android versus Apple situation, right? Mm. Which is, you know, as I, I can speak as an American, uh, in, a, in the US at least, iPhone is, is the market leader in terms of smartphone adoption and OS. So as an American, it feels like iPhone rules the world. Well, that's a separate conversation, but it, it dominates here, right? And it's, yeah. there's many things to think about, but it's like network effects, it's quality of experience, For it's sure. ecosystem built out. Uh, I kind of use Solana as Apple in that sense. But at the end of the day, if you look at the global perspective, Ethereum still dominates. Um, it has the biggest market share globally. Um, the US is an exception to the rule because of the open source nature, because of Android and people building on it. So I kind of view it as Ethereum is Android and Solana and whatever else it may be will be kind of more like um, more like Apple, maybe. I don't know. Um, That's a very polarizing view. It's like the uh, Ethereum yeah. killer. Is that like kind of what you're hinting at? <laughs> I don't think it's a killer. I think we, we will live in a multi-chain world. And yeah, yeah, I think, for sure. 
and uh there are projects trying to and now you're seeing it right like with things like sorry we're like nerding out a bit here but yeah like celestia and others are starting to combine that right where you can actually use um and don't murder me if i get this wrong but i think it's celestia uses ethereum for consensus but they use the solana solana virtual machine for execution so you get the best of both worlds right so it's it's all coming together but yes uh it is frustrating as hell to have to like bridge between the, those worlds it's so you know what's that's so funny? Yeah. we're gonna look back in five years yeah. we're gonna listen to this and be like oh remember when you had to like <laughs> think about what blockchain you wanted yes. to like do stuff on and now we're so spoiled it's like do you, have you ever seen we're like totally going off on a tangent but have you ever seen that video where kids are shown a tele like a rotary telephone yes and they have no like, idea what to do with it yeah a hundred percent. That's what it will be. Cause I think maybe the best analogy is like people who've, you know, maybe I'm dating myself here, but like it, well, I don't want to date myself too much here, but all I'm saying is there are people who I think who have been since the dawn of the internet, right. They're like, nobody's arguing about like which IP provider or whatever, like it's such infrastructure and we're nerding out about it and we're, but I agree one day we're not, we should bookmark this and then I'm going to send like a reminder to rewatch this in five years. And then yes, that'll, that'll yeah, be yeah, let's do it. And we'll all be on the moon. We'll see. <laughs> Mars, is it Mars? Mars, Mars, book through D travel. Um, okay, cool. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, put us on the next flight. Um, so I, we are running up on time, so I do want to kind of move things along here a bit more. Zooming out, I think, from D-Travel and talking about hospitality in general. Uh, I'm curious to get your take on, and this is very broad, so I think you can interpret it and move in whichever way you want, but just kind of generally speaking, state of hospitality, right? And so that can mean anything from where do you think there's the biggest room for improvement, uh, who stands to benefit the most, you know, all these things, right? And then also think about like, who are the current players and how are they starting to, do you see them starting to move into the space at all? Um, do you see them as competition? Do you see them as too big and they're never gonna really figure this out and that's the opportunity or curious to kind of get a, a broader take on hospitality in general here. Yeah. Well, I know you guys did a report on this, so you definitely yes, have a did. lot of expertise as well. Yeah, it's a really good report. So y'all should go and read it. But what's really surprising and I can't figure out why, but there's actually a lot happening in hospitality or travel with respect to using blockchain technology. And yet somehow the Web3 industry doesn't seem to be awake or that interested in the fact that there are these big, big, big players who have been investing in the technology for years now. So Lufthansa, for example, came out with an app called Optic, and it's basically an NFT collectible, and you can collect one after every flight, and you collect a bunch of NFTs, which are, I think they call them playing cards, and you can get some sort of benefit from them, like a priority check-in, lounge access, blah, 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 blah. Um, Etihad has an NFT, a loyalty NFT, where you get access to their lounge. Emirates has been investing in both the metaverse as well as crypto. So I think they also have an NFT and they have some metaverse experience. Mm -hmm. There's another airline called, um, what is it called? They have a Planes NFT. So you can, again, buy their NFT and then you earn points on it that ladder up to free flights, et cetera. And there's another big airline I can't say, uh, dropping some alpha, um, you will all definitely know it. They are going to be coming out with an NFT drop as well in Q1 of this year. And so I think there is a lot actually happening in the hospitality. Actually, uh, Marriott, they did an NFT drop. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, I can't remember. But there's tons of these brands are definitely very, very interested in the intersection of and travel, either for loyalty or for membership or even to solve infrastructure. So some of them are using it on the back end to power different um, distribution of data. So yeah. I'm personally really, really excited about what's happening. And that's obviously why I've been spending so much time in this space. And one of the things that we're hoping to do is actually to bring in a lot more of the corporates in terms of like education 
and making Web3 aware of what's happening out there. Because I think part of it is an awareness problem where people in Web3 don't realize that this is basically on the cusp of happening and it's just like travel is a trillion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of money there. And it's, uh, I mean, I think that was really great just to like put that out into the world of there are people doing this, there are people building. And I think, I think I agree with you. And it's, it's probably within our space, at least at my speculation on that would be, I think people just aren't as interested because, and I think it's a bit broader problem in general, right? Is a lot of people within our industry are so focused on uh, the infrastructure side, which is important to an extent, but for people to use infrastructure, you have to build the consumer applications to you know, actually create adoption, right? And so it's uh, it's good to be chatting with you, I think, because we need more people like yourself. And that's why we're, we're collaborating on some stuff in terms of, you know, helping the mainstream understand what is this technology and how can it actually impact our day-to-day -day lives beyond the financial speculation element? Because that's the thing that gets the most news right now. Um, I mean, even the Bitcoin ETF, it's, it's not necessarily speculation, but it does relate to the financial markets, right? Um, great and it's important and it's a watershed moment we're all happy about it but we need more people using the, the technology perhaps not just the financial elements yeah exactly. um, yeah so um just to start to wrap things up so i one more question and then i think we'll move into rapid fire which is one of my favorite parts always but we'd just love to kind of leave a quick uh chance for you to talk about you know what's next on the horizon for d travel what are the exciting things that people should be looking out for in the next couple months um, any alpha you want to drop uh, or things that they should be looking out for, let let the world know. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we have tons of stuff on the roadmap. Lots of exciting things come out, even just in Q1, but a lot for the rest of the year. So a couple of weeks from now, we're going to be launching our smart wallets and then our booking contracts with the Night Tokens. And then we'll be launching Sensei, which is our AI meta search in one of this year and I'll actually be announcing it at a couple of the travel conferences so pretty excited about that and we're going to be expanding to other chains so definitely talking to big big chains right now about partnerships and what that looks like and support so very excited um, and then if you are a traveler and you want to get on the wait list for Sensei definitely head over to our website uh, dtravel.com and then as soon as we launch that then you can get someone who's currently nomading I, I'm very excited to kind of get deeper into this personally and professionally so it's yeah fun. Uh, actually that's a good question what, what is the best way for someone who's interested to get involved is it as you just said go to dtravel.com and what do you do you just input your email or what are you what's the call to action just so I understand. if you want to join the waitlist for sensei then we have a form for you to fill out but honestly I would just come into our community whether it's discord twitter or telegram if you're interested like um, we definitely listen very, very closely to the community feedback. So part of our tokenomics and the reward system that we built out is actually based on one of our longest running community members' feedback and ideas. So we definitely are very, very open. So if you want to contribute in whatever way, definitely just come talk to us. I love it. I love it. Um, and we definitely will be. And I hope more of our listeners will as well. Um, yes. Now, jumping into rapid fire questions, which is one of my favorite parts. We do this on every episode. Um, the list of questions pretty much stay the same, and I think they're very insightful. Um, let's just get into it. So pretty straightforward. Ask questions. Don't think too much and just, you know, respond as you see fit. Um, first one, uh, love for you to pick one project, whether in Web3, AI, emerging tech as a whole, not including your own, that you're most bullish and excited about. Uh, if it's Web3, I would say I'm definitely a big fan of the graph. Like ever since I think I first read the white paper, it's really fascinating to me. And I think they've done a really great job on the government. So probably that one in Web3. I'm into it. I'm into it. That's actually the first time we've heard that one. So yes. the And if I recall, there it's just all around data indexing and data, right? Basically, yeah. So they create these APIs, which they call subgraphs that index 
different data from the blockchain to make it really easy to accept that data. Because if you had to query the entire blockchain, it takes you a million years and costs a lot of money. So they just yeah. essentially make it easy by breaking it out. I'm into, I'm into it. I'm into it. Uh, next one. This is my favorite one, actually. Is biggest professional learning over the past 12 months? When you're building, I've said this before, but when you're building a Web3 company, communication is seriously everything. Do not be quiet. Build in the open, even if, like, sometimes people want to hear updates that are not updates, even. Like, I had a conversation with XYZ. Like, most of the time, as founders, we don't want to say that because you don't know if it's going to lead to anything. But I think the community just wants to know, like, are you actually going out and doing something like this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and that's the, that's the crazy thing, right? Like we work in this, and it makes sense, I guess, right? We're working in kind of this open source, decentralized ecosystem. So, and there are a lot of rug pulls. So yes, just communicating and being open is so critical. Um, and I, I second that, which is why I, if I've learned anything running a DAO, uh, it's just over, over communicate, say that I have to, I find myself repeating the same thing like 10 times a day, but it's so important. So. Was that your biggest learning then? Uh, I don't know if that's my oh, biggest thing. Well, uh, the past year, I mean, that's one of my many. I need to like sit down and like really do some reflection. There's, it's uh, the whole DAO experience has been a lot. Um, I love it, by the way, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot there. I think over communication is one of the biggest things for sure. So I would, I would honestly second that. Um, beautiful. Next one, you have a million dollars. What would you go build today? Uh, outside of what you're doing with D travel let's say yeah it's pretty straightforward yeah i have so so many ideas but if i had to pick one one idea that i've been mulling about for a really long time is i lived in an rv for seven years which was an amazing experience mm. and it's actually very very hard to be a nomad in an rv especially if you have an actual rv not just like a camper van because if you have one that's tall, if you're trying to drive through a street, you need to know, is that street wide enough? Is it tall enough? Where can I park? Where can I get all of these different things? Where can I go in the community? And nothing like that really exists. So I would actually build an app just for RV slash like van life people. And it would be fun too. And I would have RV coin. <laughs> <laughs> when RV coin. That's the next thing. Yeah, that's the D travel expansion plan one day. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. RV, RV token. Um, yeah, that was actually like a big fantasy of mine for a long time. I think I came to realize I don't think I'm suited for that lifestyle because I'm like... I'm too bougie? <laughs> uh, yeah, basically. I need too much space. I'm like, I have, I want all my clothes. Like, it would be hard I for me. I would you see but... those big RVs? Some of them are like yeah. houses. That's true. That's true. But for exactly the reasons you're talking about, I'd want probably like one of those Mercedes Sprinters vans, which are more doable. But then... Yeah. Even then... Like, from what I've seen, you still have to figure out, like, where am I going to park and where am I going to stay overnight? Um, but it is it is a fantasy of mine. So maybe one day I'll just do it for, like, a week or two and, you know, uh, live it up. And then last thing here, uh, craziest predictions uh, for blockchain and just this whole industry in general for and by end of year this year uh, for 2024. It's going to be a crazy year. What do you think is the craziest thing that's going to happen? Feel free to go wild. Oh, God. I don't know. The one thing I say about crypto is honestly, like, nothing surprises me. Like, when the Luna crash happened, when oh FTX went down, I was like, it sounds terrible, but I'm not even shocked. Or, like, that, <laughs> taken aback. Like, yeah. it's just a matter of fact. Uh, what I'm hoping is that, and maybe this is a bit selfish, but both for Deepin and consumer crypto, that we're going to have a moment. So people with this coming bull run, that a lot of the mainstream people will get really excited about crypto and actually want to come in and do stuff. And because of that demand for actual utility, there's going to be a lot of gaps really focused around the consumer experience. I would love that. That's actually probably my favorite predict favorite prediction yet. So uh, seconded, seconded. I feel very. Let's lucky. make it happen. Yeah, let's make go, let's go make it happen. Somebody's got to do it, right? So exactly. I'm excited. So. RV coin. <laughs> RV coin. Let's make. Yeah, you you focus on D travel, and we're gonna spin up a side thing, and we call it RV coin, and we'll we'll, we'll integrate into the ecosystem. We'll put a dog um, in an RV. That will be our logo. Dog with dog with RV. I mean, they already have a. I think in Solana they have what is it like dog in used Toyota Civic, Honda oh, Civic two thousand one. 
Yeah, they, so Solana's already ahead of you there, but we'll create the RV version and put it on some other chain. That'd be great. Um, awesome. So I think that's that's it. Um, this was really fun, honestly. Really so, fun. Yeah, this was a really great conversation. I really love what you guys are doing over at D Travel. I think um, there's a very bright 2024 ahead for you guys, and really excited for us to collaborate on some of the stuff we're cooking up. And I'm excited to share more about what that is soon. Yes, that'll come out soon. Uh, and if you want the sneak peek, go check out our Future of Hospitality Research Report, which you can find on our Twitter and in the show notes. Um, oh, last thing, actually, before we sign off is how do people find you? Uh, please show yourself. How do people find you? D-Travel, what's the best place to go and the you know best place to find you guys? Yeah, so I'll send over the links, but we're D-Travel, D-T-R-A-V-L com is our website and then we're do travel on all the socials and do travel now and then me personally i'm sin there c-y-n-b-3-a-r and you can always hit me up i love meeting people so yeah is that on twitter I'm telegram or everything where? everything okay, yeah consistency is key i agree exactly yeah perfect i think that's it then so with that uh, I will say thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having this incredible conversation. And I will see you online and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right. Ciao, ciao. We hope you enjoyed this episode in etc. If you'd like to learn more about marketing and innovation in emerging tech, please visit www.myson.xyz and subscribe to our newsletter at www.netcetera.media to get started. And if you're a fan of the show, please show your support by subscribing and leaving a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.